Well, welcome to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all of the masterpieces and trash pieces of genre cinema, as well as occasionally some festival highlights too. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And as I just said, occasionally some festival highlights too, and that's exactly what we're doing today. Yes. Yeah. And yes. Uh, specifically, a gay festival. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You may recall last year we also covered this festival, uh, and we're back again to discuss this year's BFI Flair London LGBTQIA Plus Film Festival. Now, of course, uh, as with all of our festival episodes, we didn't get to watch every single film that was shown. Uh, we did watch Flea and Parallel Mothers, which are part of this lineup, but we watched them previously. Um, and I'm sure we've discussed those on our best of the month. Yeah, highly recommend both of those. Uh, yeah, so today... But I think this is a nice way of sort of showcasing a few films that we really liked, um, that might, you know, won't get sort of wide releases and big promotion, yeah. and, you know, etc. Um, so this is just our way to sort of highlight them and, and hopefully if you find them interesting, if they sound interesting to you, um, then absolutely go out and try and watch them yeah today we'll be discussing our 10 favorite films from the festival uh in no particular order so i will start with charlie xcx alone together directed by bradley bell and pablo jones solar uh it's out now in america and it's going to be released in some uk cinemas on april the 14th to be confirmed elsewhere uh, Charlie XCX, a pop star in quarantine, embarks on a whirlwind journey, making an album in 40 days that tests her creative and emotional limits and unites a global community of vulnerable LGBTQ plus fans. Yeah, I like Charlie XCX's music. Um, I'm, I'm not... I wouldn't say I'm a gigantic fan, um, but I do like her music. Her, her new album, actually, which... The film isn't about is actually really really good <laughs> um but i enjoyed the film it's a documentary you know charlie xcx is a real recording artist and it was yeah, like nice... anyone who listens to our podcast doesn't know that well you never know <laughs> um and it was nice to see her be very open and honest um about you know lockdown and the creative process and uh, the admiration that she has for her fans, particularly the LGBTQO plus fans, um, and it was it was it was nice. It was it was nice to see. There were no sort of airs and graces. Um, it felt it felt honest. And yeah. obviously, obviously, it's a production. You know, you're not watching her twenty four seven, but it didn't feel overproduced. It no. felt real and. Honest. Yeah, and and that's the thing. Charlie XCX is so likable, um, and this documentary really showcased that. Mm. Um, you know, it, like you said, it's not just about this album that she's making. You know, she touches on the mental health during lockdown, and it it really it just felt it all felt so sincere. It didn't feel forced or anything like that at all. Um, you know, it it just felt like a really sincere. Uh, an entertaining documentary about a you know recording of a great album. Yeah, yeah, that is a great album as well. Um, and it was, it was interesting to see the process of her because Charlie XCX puts out a lot of music, yeah. 
uh, a lot and you can see why because she's constantly having to create um and you see that in the documentary she you know she finished the album and she's like well what the hell do i do now let's make a new one you know yeah. so it, it's it was it was nice it was nice she was uh um an interesting subject for a documentary because i wasn't really aware of her too much in interviews and such i never really knew what her personality was i no. just knew her music um and it turns out she's a real likable person and um yeah, it made for an enjoyable film, but also an interesting one um, in terms of, you know, um, touching on mental health, particularly during uh, the lockdown. Yeah. So next up, we have Cop Secret, directed by Hans Paul Halderson, uh, out now in Iceland and Taiwan, release date to be confirmed elsewhere. A cop in denial of his sexuality falls in love of his new partner whilst investigating a string of bank break-ins. This was a real uh, breath of fresh air for buddy cop films because it swaps the buddy in the buddy cop for a romance uh, with two men. And that's not something you see often. This might even be the first time that... Don't quote me on it, but this might be the first time this has happened. Yeah, potentially, yeah, probably. Um... It feels like something that America's going to pick up later on. Cast two well-known actors in the lead... And everyone would be like, oh, oh, wow, this is groundbreaking. When actually, in reality, this did it first. Yeah, probably. Um, what made me nervous about this film, and I probably shouldn't have been nervous because it was put on as part of uh, VFI Flair. Yeah. Um, but I was a little nervous that it would just be gay joke after gay joke. Yeah. Because it is a comedy at heart. Um, but I just thought it would just overdo it. And it didn't. No. There was a real, um, this might be the word of the podcast, um, <laughs> drink every time you hear it, uh, a real sincerity to it. Um, it treated the subject matter as a comedy, but I didn't feel like homosexuals were the butt of the joke. No. Um, no, it was an actual love story yeah, in the film. Yeah, I was just, I was a little apprehensive because I was like, oh my God, how many cock jokes are we going to get? How many, you know, bombing jokes are we going to get? And we, we didn't get any. It was, you know, a comedy, but at the heart, a actually quite endearing romance. Yeah, and it's nice to see because, I mean, you know, there's never a shortage of films like this. Uh, and, you know, it does follow, apart from the romance, it follows the same formula that you'd expect from something like this. And in some ways, it is a parody of cop yeah, films. Yeah, it, it definitely feels like a satire, for yeah. sure. Um, but yeah, it, it's nice that, you know, it's beat for beat what you'd expect, um, mocking those films and everything, but at the same time, including this romance that, you know, other people can relate to, uh, as opposed to the usual heterosexual romance at the centre of these films. Yeah. Being gay wasn't actually the joke no um it wasn't i don't think it was a joke at all if if it was it was you know a couple of actual funny jokes you know yeah um we can all laugh at ourselves if it's funny um yeah i really really appreciated that film um for kind of having the balls to make it a gay film yeah yeah and they didn't you know they didn't change 
the lead characters from what you'd usually expect. You know, no. they weren't super camp or flamboyant. He was um, a pl- I, I felt like it was a play on, you know, the Jason Statham yeah. style of character. Yeah. The, um, what is the films? Oh my God. Fast and Furious. Yes, there's yeah. like a million of them. I've forgotten the name. Fast and Furious, you know, I felt like it was a play on that sort of lead. Um, just happened to be gay. And yeah. had to deal with that. Yeah, absolutely. Next up, we have a short film, And Then, directed by Jen Ravenna Tran. Uh, release date to be confirmed. Uh, it's about Mana, a Japanese-American woman who arrives in Tokyo, seeking to find a break from her life as an artist. She meets Haru, a Japanese woman from the countryside who dreams of becoming an artist herself one day. Um, this is genuinely just a simple love story. Um, a real straightforward romantic short film but oh my god the camera work the cinematography is absolutely gorgeous yeah it's it's a lovely looking film and we don't cover short films much on on the podcast um but i do appreciate a good short film and this was just a real nice simple story of two women falling in love yeah you know, and um, I really appreciated that. Yeah. And, you know, obviously we are big fans of uh, Asian cinema. We, you know, we really want to go to Tokyo. And this just made us want to go even more, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it was, <laughs> I, I think the uh, setting really helped with my interest in it as well. Um, how, you know beautiful Tokyo look. Yeah, I mean, when when your filmmaking is that good, it makes the location feel like an extra character in the yeah. film itself. Uh, and to achieve that and achieve something so well made within, like, what, 11 minutes, something like that, then that, that is very impressive. Yes. Yes, well done. Next up, we have Boulevard, a Hollywood story directed by Jeffrey Swartz. Uh, release date to be confirmed. Uh, Dixon Hughes and Richard Stapley, two young songwriters and romantic partners, find themselves caught in the in movie star Gloria Swanson's web when she hires them to write a musical version of Sunset Boulevard. Um, for me in particular, I loved this documentary because of the subject matter. Yeah. Um, I think it's one thing that is very true for documentaries, in my personal opinion, is that if you have no interest in the subject matter, you're not going to enjoy the film. And I think that's true of, you know, um, fictional films. Yeah. No, but I think more so with documentaries. If you're, if you're not interested in it, and I fucking love... Sunset Boulevard, one of my favourite films. I think Gloria Swanson is an absolute queen, a legend. I loved the hearing about this story. Um, it's a story I wasn't aware of. I really enjoyed the documentary. It's treated with a lot of respect for, for Gloria, um, who some may some may see her as a parody because of the character of Norma Desmond in Sunset Boulevard, but I thought it treated her with a lot of respect. Um, it reminded me somewhat of uh, my favourite podcast, uh, You Must Remember This, and uh, in terms of 
taking a story of classic Hollywood and, you know, um, bringing it all together and making us aware of it. I, I feel like it's something that um, you must remember this does as well. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard of the Sunset Boulevard musical uh, prior to this documentary. Um, and the whole story behind it is just absolutely bizarre. Yeah, it's it just just to uh, clarify, this isn't the Andrew Lloyd Webber Sunset no. Boulevard. So this is one that Gloria Swanson tried to create herself yeah. before Andrew Lloyd Webber did it with Glenn Close yeah. in the nineties. It yeah, it's it's a sort of thing that, you know, they could make a film out of this story and it would be so entertaining. Oh, I'd love to see Gloria Swanson's life story on the screen. Oh, that would be fantastic. Um, and I would absolutely love Glenn Close to play her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, if anyone out there wants to finance, I'll write it for you. Yeah, Glenn Close could finally get her Oscar that way, can't she? She can. <laughs> she can. Oh, and Gloria Swanson would finally get hers as well. Uh, next up we have Benediction, directed by Terence Davis, out in Australia now, uh, released May 13th in Ireland and release date to be confirmed elsewhere. The story of English poet, writer and soldier Siegfried Sassoon. Um, yeah, it is, that's a real simple premise. Yeah, <laughs> it's essentially um, old school gay drama. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, it could have been a documentary as well. Um, yeah. Oh, oh, a reality TV program. Uh, excuse me. It could have been a reality TV program. Um, very reminiscent of the uh, Housewives. I thought. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was so much drama and so much, so much uh, uh, romantic drama as well. Um, to be honest. Yes, um, some great performances in this. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I, Siegfried Sassoon, I wasn't aware of. No. I'd never heard um, of him. And a uh, very interesting story. Um, really well-made film. It's a gorgeous film. Terence mm. Davies, I was aware of, but I hadn't seen anything by Terence Davies. And I would absolutely go and look at his other yeah. films. You know, he's uh, quite a renowned English um, gay you know, film director. Yeah, so this is the one that I had heard of prior to the festival, the one that, the, I mean, a lot of the films we get at festivals, you know, are films we've never heard of before, films that are new and coming out, and but this one I had heard some buzz around it. Yeah, and it, it is really, really good. Um, I assume this will get a UK theatrical release. I think so. I think it definitely should. Um, I mean... Peter Capaldi's in it, so it's not... There must have been some money behind yeah. it. And I think one thing is, you know, like, we were saying, like you were saying about documentaries, how you have to have an interest in the subject matter before going into it. I mean, we went into this not knowing a single thing about, you know, Siegfried Sassoon, and mm. it was still so entertaining, and you actually feel like you learned something about his life going away from it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And the lives of the uh, people that he had relationships yeah. with and... Uh, and hung around at that time. Um, uh, I'm struggling to remember his name. Um, who was the actor that was portrayed in it? Oh my god, that's so silly. The Theatre Awards. Um. <laughs> not the no, not the Olivier's. 
Uh, it's not Laurence Olivier. Um, what is his name? How embarrassing. Can you help me? I can't help you. Are you googling it for me, please? <laughs> Ivan Novello. It's not. They're not theatre awards. They're music awards. Yeah. Um, I'd known of <laughs> Ivan Novello. You wouldn't have guessed from the way I just struggled with his name. <laughs> uh, but I was aware of him and quite interested in his story. Uh, I believe he starred in a Alfred Hitchcock film mm. of The Lodger. Uh, and I was I was interested in his story as well. And we got a little... Um, yeah, he didn't come across the best guy no. on the planet. No. Um, but it was interesting to see. It, it, it was... I would probably look... I'm not a huge poetry fan, um, but I probably would read some of uh, Sassoon's work now. Yeah, Jack and Loden was really good in this as well. Yeah. Oh, yes, of course. What What do we know him uh, from? Fighting with my family. Fighting with my I family, mean, of course. A completely different role to what he had in that film, and I didn't even recognise him. It was only for you telling me that it was him. Yeah, yeah, because, you know... I don't know if anyone listening does it, but when you're on, when you're watching a film, you're like, who's that? I know that face. And you're on IMDb. It's the, it, it was a digital version of the festival, by the way. We weren't doing this in the cinema. Oh, yeah, I wasn't in the cinema. <laughs> who's that? Okay, so... That not... real sexy. <laughs> That's a story for another day. Yeah. Um, going from a film that I knew about prior to the festival to... One that I knew nothing about prior to the festival, but one that ended up being my favourite film of the festival. Uh, it's The Novice, directed by Lauren Hadaway, uh, which is out now in UK cinemas and everywhere, uh, as far as I know. A college freshman joins her university's rowing team and undertakes an obsessive physical and psychological journey to make it to the top uh, varsity boat, no matter the cost. Now... <laughs> Going back again to what you said about documentaries and not having interest in the subject matter, I can't say I have the most amount of uh, interest in rowing. No. But this was intense. Yeah, it, was, um, it wasn't really a film about rowing. I feel like this could have been about any sport. And yeah. it's also not a film about being gay. No. Um, it was just the lead character happened to be gay in a relationship with a woman. Yeah. So I found that quite refreshing. I hope that doesn't... Um, obviously, it's part of a gay film festival to shine a light on films with gay subjects or made by gay filmmakers and such. I hope that doesn't... It shouldn't really hinder it because it's 2022. But I, I do hope that it's not marketed and you know promoted just as a gay film do you understand what i mean yeah because it it might put people off and and i do think films like this uh, unfortunately it puts people off potentially um but i feel like all these films that we're discussing deserve to be seen by a wider audience yeah. not just gay the, audience i mean the problem is the people who would be put off by it if it was advertised as a gay film would be put off by it and potentially give it a bad review if they that is watched the difficulty. it and didn't know it was a gay film. Yeah. That's the sad reality of homophobes. It's that, yeah, I suppose it's, it's, uh, and, uh, you know, how much time have we got? But I suppose it's the issue of, you know, if you, 
if you don't put it out there as gay, then people are going to watch it and be offended by it because they're assholes, and then give it bad reviews. And you don't want that. But you also want it to see as wide an audience as possible. Yeah. Because these films deserve to be seen by a wide audience. Yeah, this has been very well received. Though It's had lots of really great reviews. Yeah. Um, and it, it is really, really fantastic. Uh, Lauren Hadaway actually was in charge of sound editing for Whiplash. And you can definitely tell uh, mm. with this film because, I mean, the sound editing is incredible. And so many people have said this. Like, I'm pretty sure every review I've read on Letterboxd has said this. Uh, but it, it's true. It's it's like Whiplash with Rowan. Um, you know, this is one person's journey to do something they enjoy, something they're passionate about, and go into really intense lengths for it. Yeah. And the I feel like the interesting part, with that comparison to Whiplash... Is that in Whiplash, J.K. Simmons' character is the antagonist. Yeah. He's an asshole. But in The Novice, she's doing it to herself. Yeah. You know, no one's forcing her to do these things. And I think it takes a, a you know, a similar subject and looks at it from a different angle. Um, because a lot of the pressure and the, the antagonization, if that's a real word, is internal. Yeah, it's from herself, and it's it's very interesting. Oh yeah, and it, it is it, and that's what the film is about. It's about you know, um, kind of forcing yourself because essentially, and this is no spoiler, um, but essentially she goes to these great lengths to become a great rower, because she wasn't a great rower. Yeah, <laughs> she had she wasn't naturally gifted at it. Mm. And so throughout, you're like, why is she putting herself through this? Yeah. When, you know, there's many things that she's much better at that she can spend her time on. And I think that's a really interesting perspective. And Isabel Furman, who I'm sure anyone listening to this podcast will know from Orphan, uh, as the lead character in Orphan, phenomenal in this yeah she she really is incredible um as she was in orphan you know she's she's a great actress and she really takes on this role and just embodies all of it like even some of the really challenging tough scenes she does an amazing job and i'm assuming physically demanding too absolutely so next up we have death and bowling directed by lyle cash it's out now in norway release date to be confirmed elsewhere in a fictional metacritic on trans representation a transgender actor struggles with what it means to be seen after the beloved captain of his lesbian bowling league dies and a mysterious stranger shows up at the funeral i mean this could have been called a short film because it does not go on for long but they really managed to make an impact within that short run time in you know it's queer it's queer filmmaking by queer people talking about queer issues and it's fantastic yeah it's one of those wonderfully kitsch i would say kitsch is the word Mm. um i would use kind of films that only queer filmmakers can make yeah um it's very colorful 
it's weird, it's wacky at times. Um, it's very interesting. It looks beautiful. And it's so... I feel... I love a film with, like, big, bright colours. It's called Bisexual Lighting. Bisexual Lighting. <laughs> Is that true? Uh, I think this mean? might be a bit like, you know, uh, Drive and... Um... Yeah, but I thought Drive... Drive used what you've just described as bisexual lighting. Yeah, this is bright. Maybe too bright to this be bisexual is, I lighting. feel like this was more of a happy film. The Drive is very moody. Yeah. Um, but it's also very this, colourful. Yeah, but I thought this was more... Um, sort of the way Amoldova uses the colour palettes. Yeah, which is interesting because it contradicts a lot of what's going on in the film. I mean, you know, it's, it's a film partially about death. Uh, it's in the yeah. title, but these overwhelming colours, and there is a sense of happiness constantly throughout the film, even though they're talking about these tough issues. I mean, you know, everything they said about trans representation in this film is fully valid. It is so relevant yeah. right now, um, and it, you know, it's always been relevant. Absolutely. And and that's the, this is why we need films like this. This is why films like this are so important. And I I love the message, the ultimate message of the film which is about the importance of a chosen family. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, anyone... It's a, it's a universal thing about, you know, having those friendship groups that are so close. You know, you could be family, um, if not biologically. But it's especially true for a lot of queer people. Yeah. Uh especially a lot of transgendered people because their biological families have rejected them. Yeah. And so they've created these families. And, you know, I, I hope to think that it's getting better, but we're still not there. Mm. So this, it, for me, was an ode to that and that idea of, you know, real family is the one that you create yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Regardless of, you know, blood. Blood isn't always thicker than water. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Just, I mean, all the films on this list, any sort of queer representation is important. Um, but this one in particular is very important and absolutely a must-watch as soon as it's released. Yeah, absolutely. Next up, we have Invisible, Gay Women in Southern Music, directed by TJ Parcell. Release date to be confirmed. Documentary explores a group of gay women songwriters who have successfully navigated the male-dominated country music genre and have written number one hits for some of country music's greatest stars. Yeah. Um, again, you know, talking about important films, this is an important film about some very important people that aren't always at the forefront where they should be when it comes to country music. Yeah, it's absolutely something I've seen last year with BFI Flair and this year too. Um, and I, I love documentary films. I love um, biographical documentary films. I watch them a lot. Um, and I, I, I'm quite pleased that there are a lot with BFI flair. And this one was particularly interesting because it does shine a light on a group of women who have, you know, been so successful in their field. Yeah. And yet have, and you know, because they're lesbians, 
they have been pushed to the side. Yeah. And, you know, they're not... A lot of them, you'll find, wanted a singing career, but knew that they had to become writers because they would never become successful in country music as an out gay woman. Mm. Um, so the talent speaks for itself. Yeah. And I, li- I like country music. I, I would never call myself an expert on country music. Um, but, you know, they're there getting number ones. They're there winning Grammys. Yeah. And the reason they're not on posters and the reason they're not maybe making as much money as they could, you know, because unfortunately money is always um, a key indicator of success. Um, the reason they're not doing this is simply because they are lesbians. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's one scene specifically um, where someone, you know, she had a great career on, on the rise, you know, everything was looking promising for a career. Soon she started writing songs about being in love with women, like as part of an album that people described, you know, as the potential to be a number one album, you know, it's really exciting. But as soon as she started singing about loving women, that was it. Oh, sorry. That yeah. was it. And that's... It's crazy. It it is crazy, and you know, much like we said about Death and Bowling, there's not something that we're uh, years away from. There's still progress to be made. It's still relevant now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm... less. I mean, you know, obviously, there's way more mainstream queer artists now, but in country, I don't know so much. No, there's no, like I'm a not. handful that are, you know, um, I can't think of his name, but there is a really popular queer. Uh, country artists in America. Or yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's progress being made. A little Nas X yeah, as well, yeah. you know, yeah. has been highly influenced by country music. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this shines a light on a group of women who... Who could have been at that level. Who could have been know? at that level. Who, you know, who could have really made it to the pinnacle yeah. of, you know, their profession but we're held back in many ways. And, you know, it's a real shame, but I'm, I'm so, it's why I'm so glad these stories are being told. I think it's very important to tell these stories um, because we can learn from them. Mm. Yeah. And I really hope that we do. Yeah. Absolutely. Next up, we have Gateways Grind, uh, directed by Jackie Lawrence, a release date to be confirmed, a feature-length documentary about the Gateways Club, the legendary lesbian club, which was a haven for women. Yeah, um, good old Sandy Toxic. Yeah. I I do struggle with her surname, saying it out loud. Showing up to paint the door green. (laughs) She's painting the door green. Um, Yeah, she's really likeable, but... um, I just, I, again, I just found the documentary really interesting. This was, uh, yeah, what I liked about this was the fact that this is a place that has been and gone, it's shut down, um, you know, it's it's not exactly going to reopen anytime soon, um, but it's a place with such a fascinating history, and the story isn't, you know, one that's easy to come by. Mm. Uh, so, you know... This documentary still, even though, you know, it's not, even though it, it is, you know, a thing of the past and 
Where am I going with this? <laughs> I think for, for me personally, even though even though it's been even though you know it's been it's got its close down, it wasn't uh, such a popular place. You know, it was part of a film, um, but no one. Yeah, yeah, and it's not like people are talking about it every day. It's not a household name. This club, but it's got such an interesting history that it makes this documentary fully relevant. Yeah, it's... finally got there <laughs> with um, gateways. Grind, yeah, and uh, the country music documentary Invisible. Invisible. Um, I feel like as a gay man, sometimes my interest or my not taste, um, but my choices in terms of learning mm. about particularly about gay history does tend to go towards. Uh, gay men and it's because of availability yeah absolutely absolutely Uh, again i I think it's a subject we don't have time for on the podcast but there is a a, a real discrepancy there between lesbian representation and gay men representation and unfortunately in you know in the past i probably have geared my interest more towards gay men Mm. as subject matter than I have gay women, you know, because of being a gay man. Um, so I, I really appreciate these kind of documentaries and being able to see these because the club, the Gateways Club, I had absolutely no idea that it existed. Yeah. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it meant. Um, and so, you know, the documentary, it's not really stylistically breaking any new ground. Um, it doesn't need to. No. You know, as I said, you know, a documentary lives and dies essentially on how interesting the subject matter is. And I found this thoroughly fascinating. Yeah. It's like a group of friends just getting together having a chat about old times. It's, yeah. You know, it's, it isn't, it, it isn't, you know, groundbreaking, it, but the story it's telling is still so important. I mean, the, you know, the Gateways Club in itself was really important for yeah. the uh, for the LGBTQ plus scene in in the seventies mm. in London. Um, so it it is great that something like this exists. Uh, and also just about that, <laughs> just about that there was a lesbian bar in the UK. I mean, I don't know if you know if you've listened to our Bound episode with Say Pod and Doe, where we had this entire conversation about how. Um, the uh, the hosts that say pot and die, they were discussing like oh this lesbian bar in America and whatnot and we're here like oh, wait what <laughs> that this doesn't exist in the UK it is really st- strange that I don't think I could name you any and the the thing is you know all the gay bars that I've ever been in are inclusive yeah um. Apart from the Eagle, I remember going to the Eagle during Pride once, and women weren't allowed downstairs. Um, but, you know, I've never known a bar or club just for lesbian women. No. I've never known that. No. And I don't know if there is one now. Or, or I, 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 think, I think now you can't turn around and say to anyone, no, you're not allowed in, no, sort no. of thing. But I mean, geared towards yeah. um, lesbians. I don't think I could name one in the UK. No. 
I feel like a lot of gay culture in the UK is geared towards gay men. Yeah. Again, we haven't really got <laughs> enough time to discuss that one on the podcast, but it's interesting. It is. And and again, this is why these documentaries are so important. Yeah. Is because we've watched that and I've just sat there and thought, do you know what, actually, maybe I could make some better choices in you know, what I watch and what I learn about and in turn support. Yeah. And I could maybe be like, actually, you know, my taste has maybe been geared too much towards gay male filmmakers. Let's, you know, watch some more lesbian filmmakers and fair films and support them and buy their Blu-rays and DVDs and such. Yeah. So for our final film... Uh, we have Jimmy in Saigon, directed by Peter McDowell. Release date to be confirmed. Jimmy in Saigon is a documentary exploring the mysterious death of Peter McDowell's eldest brother, James, who died age 24 in Saigon. The film explores unspoken grief and family secrets while honouring those lost long ago. And this was really, really fascinating. Yeah, um, it's a subject matter that I find infinitely fascinating. Uh, the Vietnam War. Um, this, again, is a story that may feel like a small story. You know, it's just one man out of, you know, so many that went to fight in, in Vietnam. Um, but it's his story and it felt universal. It felt, yeah. you know... I suppose, in in theory, it's, it's about maybe his struggle to come out. Yeah. Um, it's about grief. Um, it's about parents maybe not understanding their children and the cultural divides in, in age, mm. in, in the generational divides. Yeah. Um, I thought it was very um, sad at times, actually. It's not, you know, it, it, I don't think it's a particularly happy film no there are moments you know of of connection but i I do feel like it's a film that is about struggling yeah to understand um particularly with the um because it's the the filmmaker forgive me i've forgotten his name peter mcdown thank you um it's about his brother yeah but he also speaks in length to his mother Mm. Um and you can see his mother and she's um an advanced age at the time, but just about you know her shutting down mm. a lot. So after the death of his brother Jimmy, just sort of building a wall and pretending that you know essentially he didn't exist. Or, you know, they didn't want to talk about him because of how he died. Or, you know, the idea that he, not understanding that he would want to live in Vietnam, uh, you know, and potentially be living with a man in a homosexual relationship, mm. um, taking drugs and that leading him to his untimely death. Yeah, which also led to some interesting conversations with the other man's family, the one that Jimmy was in a relationship with, supposedly. 
Um, and that also leads to, you know, some interest in, an interesting look at how homosexuality was viewed in Vietnam yeah. um, as well, you know, which is obviously, it's not something you find very often when watching a documentary about Vietnam. No, no, not at all. And and so, you know, I've watched a few documentaries on Vietnam. I've read up a fair bit. I've, we, you know, we've watched yeah. films, you know, um, Full Metal Jacket, and, mm-hmm. you know, Deer Hunter. And it, it's a, a very specific image yeah. of the Vietnam War. Um, this was refreshing to see a real... Um, intimate portrait of someone yeah. who lived through that and died through that you know um yeah it was it, very very interesting very interesting and i i really appreciated um being able to 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 hear jimmy's story yeah and mm-hmm. and of his family too yeah well, that concludes our highlights for this year's BFI yes. Flair. Um, a big thank you once again to BFI Flair for having us again and letting us talk about your film. Yeah, we, we hope that we've sort of sold the films to you because yeah. each of those I would fully recommend. I really enjoyed the the lineup as a whole, but those ten, I think we would... Yeah, this is just ten films of a, a, a big lineup. Um, yeah. You know... Uh, we always promote our letterbox on here, but I highly recommend anyone to, you know, go onto letterbox lists and look at the lineup. Um, there's a few lists made for it. Uh, and just check out whatever you can, because it is always important to support queer filmmakers. Yeah. And queer cinema. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Uh, if you attended BFI Flair this year, let us know your highlights. Uh, let us know some of your favourite queer filmmakers. Just talk to us. Let us listen to you talk <laughs> fucking no just talk to us we're on social media <laughs> if you can recommend any wonderful um lesbian filmmakers yeah. or any you know wonderful films about lesbians you know or, or queer women um then yeah um my dms are open for recommendations yes we're Horrorcore Trash over on Facebook and Instagram, Horrorcore Trash on Twitter. I'm Dead at Gaz92 on Letterboxd, Gazmo205 on Instagram, and GazCruise92 on Twitter. I'm Chris Barker823 on Letterboxd and. Ooh, that other one. Instagram. Uh, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. If you're feeling generous, like and follow on everything else. Give us a rating on Spotify. We'll be back on Tuesday with more. Early 2000s horror films. <laughs> okay, I don't know if I can say goodness. Um, with Dracula 2000 or 2001 if you're in the UK. Okay, two, it's got to be 2000. Dracula 2001 sounds awful. It does. It's well, a I stupid mean, name. You haven't seen the film. Uh, <laughs> oh dear. Yes. Yeah. It, it was nice to talk about good films for a while. It was. So we'll see you on Tuesday. I think that's why I stumbled on my words so fucking much. Because <laughs> I couldn't use the word shit or crap. <laughs> we'll see you on Tuesday. Bye. Bye.